Chapter Twelve of Non Combatants and Others by Rose Macaulay. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Anthony Ogus. Alex and Basil. Evie had a good time for the rest of the week of Captain Gordon's leave. Mrs. Frampton began to wonder whether this enormously wealthy and overwhelmingly well-dressed young man really meant anything. If you could tell anything by the size of the chocolate boxes he sent, he certainly meant quite a lot. Kate looked repressive when they arrived. "'How Evie does go on,' she said to Mrs. Frampton at breakfast, before Evie came down, referring to the immense box from Buzzards by Evie's plate. That was the morning after Hugh Montgomery Gordon had returned to his duties in France. Apparently, whatever else he meant, he meant not to be forgotten. "'She's a naughty girl,' Mrs. Frampton admitted indulgently. "'I shouldn't wonder if that's from this new friend of hers, Captain Gordon. He looks such an extravagant man, but very handsome. What does your brother think of Captain Gordon, Alex? Didn't you say he knew him?' Mrs. Frampton was of those ladies who believe that men, good judges in most matters, are especially good judges of each other. Alex said she didn't believe Nicholas had thought about Captain Gordon at all. But his friend Mr. West has quite a lot, she added. Well, love, what does Mr. West think? Mr. West was even better than Nicholas as a source of knowledge, being not only a man but a clergyman. Mr. West, said Alex, thinks Captain Gordon too rich. It's a fad of Mr. West's that people shouldn't be too rich. I think they should. Well, we're told, aren't we, that it is hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. A little more ham, Alex. It's all a question, said Kate, of the use people make of their wealth. They say that some of the wealthiest families in the land make the best landlords and are the kindest to all. I can't say I hold with socialism. It seems to me most wrong-headed. Well, Mrs. Frampton agreed, it certainly does seem like flying the face of what Providence has ordained, doesn't it? Let me see now, Alex. Your brother doesn't hold with socialism, does he? Alex's brother, being clever and queer, might hold with anything. Mrs. Frampton appeared to feel a morbid interest in his opinions. Nicky? He doesn't hold with anything, Cousin Emily. He's a general disapprover. I believe he hates socialism. He thinks it makes for dullness and stagnation and order and all sorts of things he doesn't like. Mrs. Frampton said, Why, I should have thought what socialists wanted was quite an uprooting and an upset. And then Evie's entrance interrupted a discussion which might have been fruitful. Evie kissed her mother. She said, "'Whatever in the world are you talking about? Socialism? What a subject for breakfast. Buttered egg for me, please. Oh, chocks!' She opened them, smiling, and looked at the card inside. "'He is extravagant,' she said. "'This is an awfully special box. He must have ordered it from Buzzards before he went.' "'I don't think you should permit it,' said Kate primly. "'Oh, it's all right. He likes it. He's simply rolling.' Evie was absorbed in the pencilled inscription on the card. Life was pleasant to Evie. Her mother smiled indulgently on her, 
Evie certainly did seem to have a lot of young men at once, but then how pretty the child was, and how she enjoyed it. And she had sense, too. Evie never lost her head. Evie opened the letter by her plate. She read it and laid it aside carelessly, and looked up. "'Yes, some ham, please. Mr. Doy writes he's seen the board again, and he's to join in a week. I suppose he's satisfied now.' Mrs. Frampton clicked deprecatingly with her tongue. She regarded it always as a matter for great regret that wounded young men should have to return to the wars. "'Well, I'm sorry for that. Anyone would think he'd done enough having lost a finger for his country. I call it shameful, sending him out again.' "'Perhaps he'll go to Serbia this time,' said Evie. "'He said there was a chance of his battalion getting sent there from France soon.' "'Well, well,' That seemed, if anything, more unreasonable still. I'm sure one's dreadfully sorry for poor Serbia. She does seem to be having a bad time, but I'm not sure that our men ought to be sent out to those parts. They're all so wild out there. It seems as if, in a way, they rather like fighting each other. Anyhow, they've always been at it since I can remember, and I think they'd much better be left to fight it out among themselves while we defend poor France.' "'Who are we to judge? "'I suppose Lord Kitchener knows what's right. "'They say,' put in Kate, "'that Joffre had a great to-do "'before he would persuade Kitchener "'to send forces out there at all. "'They say he came to the war office "'and broke his riding-whip right across. "'Fancy that! "'He must be a very violent man. "'But the French are always excitable. "'Lord Kitchener's one of the quiet ones, I've heard. "'A regular Englishman.' "'Well, I'm sure I hope they're taking the right course. "'Alex, you haven't had half a breakfast. "'I'm sure you can manage another bit of toast. "'Evie, dear, you'll have to hurry with your breakfast or you'll be late.' "'Evie hurried. "'She spent the week with partial success in avoiding Basil Doy. "'Since she had done with him, what was the use of scenes?' She certainly wasn't going to let him go away with the impression that he would find her waiting on his next return from the war to beguile his leave time. Her natural generosity forbade her to take and keep Alex's young man. Her natural prudence forbade her to philander too ardently, having a good time is different, of course, with a young man who probably didn't mean business. Rightly, Evie condemned these practices as not respectable. So she went off at lunchtime with other friends, with a little pang indeed, but less acute than she would have felt a week ago, before her rapid friendship with Hugh Montgomery Gordon. Basil Doy was being relegated quickly to the circle of Evie's numerous have-beens, to be remembered with pleasant indifference. On the Saturday before he left London, Basil obtained an interview with Evie by means of going, at immense sacrifice of time, to Violette. It was a short interview, and not intimate, for Mrs. Frampton and Kate were present at it. After it, Basil called at Clifford's Inn to say good-bye to Nicholas and Alex, who, they told him, was there. 2. He found Alex alone, waiting for Nicholas to come in. She had been having tea and was reading Peacock Pie. She preferred this poetry to any written since August 1914, which had killed fairies. Looking up from it, she saw Basil standing at the door. 
he was flushed and looked cross. She knew of old the sulky set of his brows and mouth that made him look like a petulant boy. It hurt Alex so much that she couldn't muster any sort of smile, only look away from him and say, "'I'm sorry, Nick is not in yet.' He said, "'No,' abstractedly, and sat down in the chair on the other side of the fire. He sat in the attitude she had seen him in a thousand times, it seemed to her, before, his elbow resting on his knee, his hand supporting his chin, the other hand, with its maimed third finger, hanging at his side. She had seen him sitting thus happy, intimately talking. She had seen him moody and brooding as now. There had been a time when she could always lighten these moods, tickle his sullenness to laughter, but that time was past. He said presently, "'I'm off tomorrow, you know.' "'Yes,' said Alex, who did know. In her another knowledge grew, the knowledge that if he did not speak of Evie she could get through this interview without disgrace, but that if he did speak of Evie she could not. She did not want him to speak of Evie and break down the wall between them, yet she did want it. He did speak of Evie. He said he had been to Violette to say good-bye. I said it to the whole family together. Evie wouldn't see me alone. I suppose she doesn't really care a hang. In fact, she's made that very obvious for the last fortnight. "'Yes,' said Alex again, clinging to that one small word as to a raft in a stormy sea which might yet float her through. Basil pushed the tongs with his foot so that they made a clattering noise in the grate. "'She doesn't care a hang,' he repeated. "'She's on with that jam fellow now. "'Well, everyone to his taste.' Hugh Montgomery Gordon obviously appeals to her. Alex's hands were clasped tight over her knee. Her knuckles were white. She kept her eyes on the fire. She would not look at him. Yes, she said. Then silence fell between them, and though she would not look, she felt his nearness, knew how he sat, angry and sullen, brooding over his hurt. A coal fell from the fire. Alex, as if someone was physically forcing her, raised her eyes from it and looked at Basil, and knew then that she was not going to get through this interview without disgrace. For she saw him sit as she had seen him sit, it seemed to her, a thousand times before, inert, bent forward a little, with the shadows leaping and flickering on his thin olive face and vivid eyes, with one hand supporting his sharp-cut chin, the other hanging maimed, and that alone was something new, belonging to the cruel present, not the kindly past, at his side. It seemed that those lean, quick, brown artist's fingers were dragging her soul from her. The sharp sense of all those other times, when she and he had thus sat, stabbed her like a turning-knife. A thousand intimacies rose to shatter her, and, so shattered, she spoke. She doesn't care a hang. She repeated his phrase mechanically, sitting very still. But I do. Then she leant towards him, putting out her hands, and a sob caught in her throat. Oh, Basil, I do. For a moment the silence was only broken by the leaping, stirring fire. Basil looked swiftly at Alex, and Alex saw horror in his eyes before he veiled it. 
the next moment it was veiled veiled by his quick friendly smile he leant forward and took her outstretched hands in his and spoke lightly easily he did it well few people could have attained at once to such ease such spontaneous naturalness of affection why of course i know the way you and i care for each other is one of the best things i've got in my life it lasts too when the other sorts of caring go fut yes said alex faintly the raft of that small word drifted back to her and she climbed on to it out of the engulfing sea she took her hands from his and lay back in her chair impassive and still basil rose and stood by the chimney-piece playing with the things on it he talked naturally easily of what he was going to do the probabilities of his being sent out with a draft to france almost at once the possibility of his battalion being sent to serbia he talked too of their common friends even of painting which he seldom mentioned now alex heard his voice as from a great distance off and from time to time said yes there was a sharp crack and basil held the stem of one of nicholas's pipes in one hand the bowl in the other he had broken it in two his fluent tongue his flexible face were under his control but it seemed that his hands were not they had shown thus blatantly the uncontrollable strain he felt alex winced away from it she couldn't bear any more he must go quickly before either of them broke anything else he went slipping as it were unnoticeably away with good-bye unemphasized half ashamed sandwiched between fatuities about the pipe and comments on the future it was an ugly pipe wasn't it tell sandomir i broke it for his sake compelled by my artistic conscience it'll be for his good in the end i'm sorry i've not seen him but you'll say good-bye for me and to any of them at the shop good-bye if we do get out to the east we shall have a funny time in some ways i fancy i hear salonica's a great place glorious riviera climate but less so inland too much snow on the hills well it can't be worse than france in winter anyhow i believe the bulgars are very good-natured people to fight against they aren't really a bit keen on this show want to get back to till their fields his voice came from beyond the door then it shut and muffled his steps running down wooden stairs alex let go her raft and was submerged by the cold engulfing seas End of chapter 12